And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. and welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Ayer. And that was a doozy, Prashant. Yeah, I mean, that uh, that very quickly brought back flashbacks of 1920 and, and how quickly those, uh, those games can snowball. I just remember, you know, scrolling through the Red Wings social media feed on Twitter during games like that and... You would see the timestamps five minutes ago, four minutes ago, three minutes ago, and the score is now one nothing, two nothing, three nothing. And you know, it's kind of funny. I'd actually just walked in from work and my wife had just turned it on, and it was one nothing with 19 minutes to go. Ran upstairs to shower, came back down, and it was three nothing. I said, Okay, this is gonna be a good hockey game, I guess. So, you know, just kicking and screaming back to, to 2019, 2020 Red Wings hockey. I'm betting that you weren't actually even in the shower yet by the time it was 3-0, if, if you went up when it was 1-0, because it was... Yeah, I mean, literally, I popped in, I saw that it was one <laughs> nothing, and I was like, all right, let me just go run upstairs real quick and come back down. By the time I came back down, it was 3 nothing. I think it said maybe, like, there's 14 minutes left in the period, so, you know, I ended up going back and looking in it. It's just ugly. I mean, Tampa basically sat in the neutral zone waiting for Detroit to weakly chip the puck out activated their D and created odd man situations. And it was just like, cool. That's, that's just, they were basically toying with Detroit. They didn't even try. I think Tampa may have finished with 20 shots on goal. They could have had 50 if they wanted to. I think they just sort of were like, okay, it's, it's our, it's three, nothing in five minutes. We're just going to leave this one alone here. Well, the game was over five minutes in, and, th- and that's the thing is it, it's like, you know, there's 55 minutes left and and certainly the, the, the players are going to try and claw back in. But, you know, how many times have we scored three goals this year? Two? Yeah. It's been three, and, three times, I right. guess, three times. Yeah. And we're talking about Detroit being the worst five on five offense, really, since we started tracking this in 2007, 2008. Uh, after last night's performance, they are now there. They are right there with the. Uh, the 2014, 2015 Buffalo Sabres. So, you know, once you put three goals on them, they're not going to come back on you. I mean, that's just the nature of this team. Uh, they, they don't have the firepower and capacity. I think the closest they've come to looking dangerous in a comeback situation was the game against the Stars where, you know, they were down uh, and they were able to kind of pull within 4-3 late in the game and they ended up losing that game 7-3 though after the Stars kind of seal it with the empty netter and then the Klingberg goal but you know nonetheless this team is just not built to be able to come from behind so to start the game off 3-0 first five minutes 
it has to be completely deflating for the Red Wings, and it certainly looked that way. Yeah, to me, this game goes in its own category, maybe with uh, the second game against Chicago and the second game against Dallas as kind of the 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 true no chance games for for the year games in which you know certainly by midway and the second period it was clear that the Red Wings weren't gonna have a shot and those are the games that I think they they need to desperately I mean this goes without saying but like desperately avoid these are the games where you know nothing good can come and, and they don't have rookies really and we'll get to that I'm sure in a minute like on this team that um, maybe you're you're so worried I mean they do have Philip Zadina who's pretty young but he wasn't in the lineup for this. Um, where you're so worried about, oh, like, what are they going to even get out of their reps in, in these conditions? But games like this are the ones that that really scare you, I think, because those, you know, you can't play your season like that. You can't play your season with, with it with it not being in uh, in tight games and in competitive games where, where you're there's really any um, chance of winning. That's what brings out everything good in hockey is, is a chance of winning. And, and once that goes away, you're kind of just running out the clock on a game, you know, even if the players are trying, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's a bad scene. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're not running out the clock like purposefully, but, um, you know, not a lot of good's going to come from it at that point. And so, um, I, I just wanted to kind of gauge, I mean, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this just because I don't know how much there really is to say given that, I mean, it was, it was over as quick as it started, you know, somebody fell down I think it might've been Nemeth fell down during a line change. Yep. And then, you know, three minutes later, it was 3-0. And uh, Victor Hedman's a monster. You know, Philip Peronic comes over trying to help. Uh, uh, it was Mark Stahl up on the boards. And then in doing so, lets McDonough get free in the slot. He scores, you know, the Sorelli goal. I don't even really remember how that one happened. Um, well, the Sorelli goal happens. Uh, it's four on four. Larkin that's turns right. the puck over, that's right. you know, in his own zone. And, and, and Tampa comes up on a four on two rush. Uh, and, and, you know, then the coverage is just kind of lax coming back and, and, uh, you know, Robbie Fabry, if you watch him, he gets actually caught puck watching, you know, as, as I think, uh, I can't remember who it is, whether it was McDonough or Hedman, one of Tampa's incredible defensemen was just sitting with the puck on the goal line and Fabry's just standing there and watching him and completely loses track of Sorelli, who's able to pick up that ricochet puck and, and just fire it in the back of the net. And so it's just like. It was it was honestly comical because I I don't think you it, there was just a shock to the system with how big the gap in talent was. Tampa could have absolutely, you know, if they kept the the engines on, that could have been a ridiculous game because you know, like you said, Max, five minutes in, shots are five nothing, scores three nothing, and it's like okay, this is this is really really bad. And so you know, you're absolutely right. There's no point in really belaboring it, but. I think kind of the sobering reality you have to accept from this is we talked about this a little bit last time. Is this team better than last year's team? And, you know, while we say, okay, the bad losses are, have not really been there aside from this one in the Chicago game, the fact of the matter is statistically, this team is effectively indistinguishable from last year's team. Expected goals for percentage, right about the same. Corsi four percentage. Right at the same. This team is actually generating fewer expected goals for, um, which is actually making up for how much better they've been defensively at five on five, because they're they're basically their their expected goal differential is minus zero point four five this season. It was minus zero point six last season, and you know you put all that together, 
you're 11 games in, and Detroit's at a minus 19 goal differential, which is worse than they were last season at this point in time. And so, you know, yes, at this point last season, we hadn't really hit those strings of 5-1 losses, but it is a little terrifying that you are still in the exact same position you were last year. And we talked about last year being a historically awful team. Well, now this team is 2-7-2 and and looking at least as bad as last year's team. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it comes down to, to offense. And, and we've talked, God, it feels like we've been talking for a month now about, you know, this just being the Red Wings MO to, to try and, and avoid, you know, the, the level of lopsidedness and, and, and to be in competitive games and really give them a chance to win games is to be defensive, uh, defensively as sound as possible, almost at all costs. But they're scoring less than last year's team did right now. I mean, I think last year's team was was a hair above two goals per game. This team is a hair below two goals per game, and that's just that's just on the on the uh, actual goals, not not the expected goals. And so, um, for the the expected goals to to mirror that, really just affirms that that the offense is at least as bad, if not a little worse, than last year. And that's the trade off. And we talked last show about how if the Red Wings are going to stick to that. If they're going to stick to that five-on-five defense like identity, that's the priority, then they needed to get a boost in at least one, if not two other categories, being five-on-five offense, power play offense. And we were you know, kind of writing off the fact that five-on-five offense was even possible because that's what you're trading to get the five-on-five defense. You're going to have to get at least one, if not two, of penalty kill and power play short up. Well, penalty kill does go four for four this game. But power play goes 0 for 4, and the 5 on 5 deep actually wasn't all that good. And so you still ended up with just one of those four boxes ticked, and you still ended up with a four-goal loss to Tampa. I don't have much more to say about the game in that. That I mean, I I was, you know, watching, and I was, you know, kind of writing on the side, you know, for a, for a story that I'll have coming. But uh, at that point, I, it, it kind of felt like there's not a whole lot to see here. Yeah, I mean, that that's effectively it in a nutshell. You know, you, you'll come back, you'll look at the stats and go, okay, it wasn't that bad. You know, Tampa finished with 1.235 and 5 expected goals for. They stopped trying. They, they literally just started skating with the puck. They were not interested um, in aggressively demolishing Detroit psyche. And so, you know, numbers-wise, it ends up looking fine. In reality, it was awful. And so here we are, 2-7-2. and two getting doubled up on the in, in the goal differential column, looking just like last year's team, and you got to find a way forward. So I think that's all I've got to say about that first Tampa one. Yep, and and not long after the game ended, uh, Bob McKenzie on, on NBC mentions that the Red Wings are a, uh, a team rumored to be checking in on doing their due diligence on Tony D'Angelo, who, of course, uh, will be – traded we presume or bought out from the new york rangers after uh reportedly getting into a, a confrontation with one of his teammates a fight i think there was punches thrown um and so you know that that came out right afterwards i think that's a terrible idea i think what you know if new york is saying that this guy is uh this big of a problem in our locker room that we are going to just pot committed say after after giving him two years and $4.8 million last season. He's this big of a problem that we are saying, no, he will never play another game for us, whatever it takes. I don't understand how you can even consider bringing that guy into your locker room, you know, which also happens to be the locker room that's going to be the biggest uh, cultivator for emotional volatility as is this season. Yeah. I mean, I think Bob McKenzie maybe figured, Hey, the Red Wings franchise, they're a little bit fragile right now as they're getting waxed by Tampa. Let's go ahead and throw some heat on the fire here. (laughs) I mean, 
trading for Tony D'Angelo would be the all-time stupidest move that's ever been made by this team. I mean, he's a guy who, frankly, in my opinion, does not deserve another opportunity in the NHL. You know, you, you trace what he has done over the course of his career. This is a guy that has no business being in the NHL if hockey's going to be for everyone, right? Tony D'Angelo was suspended eight games in the OHL for using in a quote-unquote inappropriate statement to a teammate. It's a racial slur, okay? You know, that's eight games in the OHL. Despite that, Steve Eiserman still drafts him in, in 2014 in the first round. And he says at that time, look, you know, a lot of, you know, some of these kids are young. They make stupid mistakes. We're committed to trying to work with him, see if we can help him improve. Year later, he's shipping him out of there because, again, that's not going to work there. And there's just a string of things from being a COVID denialist to, again, just uh, a lot of the bigotry that seems to be associated with some of the stuff he said on Twitter. He eventually is getting pulled off of Twitter to by his team to try and, co- you know, basically put a lid on the fire. This this person has no business being in the Detroit Red Wings locker room, let alone a NHL locker room. So doing your due diligence uh, would hopefully be the extent of it, uh, as he has no business, uh, I think, playing in the NHL, in my opinion. Here's uh, Elliot Friedman in the 31 Thoughts column. He, he writes, uh, GM Jeff Gordon provided clarity on why D'Angelo was cut. The organization felt D'Angelo, quote, wasn't able to move on, end quote, from his early season benching and warned him one more incident would be the end of his tenure. That came Saturday night after the 5-4 overtime loss to Pittsburgh. D'Angelo delivered a sarcastic cutting comment to Alexander Georgiev in the aftermath of that defeat. The goalie clocked D'Angelo before the two were separated, and the decision to put him on waivers was made that night. That's Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet. And that's basically the 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 report um, on, on this incident now. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Prashant. I, I cannot fathom a single justification for bringing D'Angelo in. Um, you know, he just cleared waivers, so that should tell you what 31 NHL teams broadly think of him. Um, and I don't know that I've got a whole lot more to say about it than that. I don't. I think it'd be a terrible idea. Yeah, we're just that's. I think that's really all that has to be said about it. He has no business coming here. No one should be advocating for it. It would be an absolute nightmare. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, then let's move on. Um, Roster-wise, the Red Wings this week are getting healthy, and we knew that was going to happen. Everybody's now off the COVID uh, protocol absence list. Philip Zadina has now officially returned to practice. We spoke with him today. And so have, uh, obviously, all the players who returned against Tampa, that being Adam Ernie, Robbie Fabry, Sam Gagne, and John Merrill. That meant a lot of the young blood that had been injected into the Red Wings lineup while they were gone uh, heads out. 
Michael Rasmussen to Grand Rapids, along with Dennis Chalowski and Gustav Lindstrom, who had been on the taxi squad, Matthias Brome, Giovanni Smith, and now Tara Hirose on the taxi squad. We will see if Hirose stays on the taxi squad for the game or if that was a paper move um, for cap purposes, but uh, either way, not you know again much less young ta- young talent young players in the lineup than there was three days ago, uh, and it comes on the heels of of this game where the Red Wings get run off the ice. Um, I'm not saying that I think Tarharosi or Giovanni Smith is the difference in a game like that. I think the score is probably identical to be honest with them in the lineup. But what do you make of this decision um, to 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 take some of those guys out of the lineup and in some cases off of the roster? Yeah, I mean, well, you and I tried to speculate as to what was going to happen, and, and spoiler alert, Blasio threw a curveball at both of us. I don't think either of us nailed this one down. I think. What we had postulated, it'd likely be Franz Nielsen, maybe maybe taking the seat. And then, you know, you come out with the decision to first send down Matthias Brome and Giovanni Smith. And then, you know, I think Blash was uh, somewhat coy in his response to you, Max, to your question in the press conference where he said, well, not everyone who goes down the taxi squad, yeah. uh, that doesn't mean they're not a part of the roster. So we'll see if this was one of the, the paper transactions on an off day, if they're just trying to save some cap in that respect. But if Hiroshi truly has gone down, you know, it's surprising because uh, I, I kind of you kind of have to step back and ask yourself, well, well, what do they have to do? And so I think when Blashell attempted to ask your question, because, you know, Max, you you appropriately asked him, well, what are you seeing from a guy like Franz Nielsen or Darren Helm that keeps them you know, in the lineup. that keeps him in the lineup? Right. Yeah. And, and I think Blashell goes, well, he's they're looking at all all facets of play. They're looking at five on five. They're looking at the specialty teams. You know, I think Blashell highlighted that their penalty kill went four for four against Tampa. And it was while Tampa wasn't really firing on all cylinders in that sense. It's still impressive that you held them to only four shot attempts on four power plays, including only two on goal. I think you have to be encouraged by that for Detroit. He points out that, you know, Nielsen and Helm did a lot of those minutes on the on, on the PK there. But from the flip side, you know, I look at Hiroshi and say, what more do you want him to do? Um you know, he's a guy who I think has dramatically improved his play at five on five. He's been one of uh, Detroit's better players at five on five in his few games in. And I think what I've been most impressed with is his patience with the puck, uh, especially on the power play. I think you've seen the Red Wings really struggle to enter the zone. I think everyone can attest to that. But Hiroshi, once he was kind of injected into that first power play unit, really at least lifted that unit's ability to get into the zone set up and potentially be a little bit more dangerous. And so I'm hopeful that his his move down is simply just a paper transaction and that he's coming back up. But even a guy like Brome, who is a guy who kind of, you know, displayed some of that offensive creativity, and Giovanni Smith, a guy who, you know, was able to get an assist on that Dylan Larkin goal with a great kind of heads up play to to make that little chip backhand pass up to Larkin, um, you know, a couple games ago. I those are guys to me that you know, they're grinding, they're working their motor, they're they're doing probably as well as they can. And I think they do deserve a longer look in the lineup to really de- develop a better opinion on them. What struck me about his answer about Hiroshi specifically was the allusion to 
the size of Tampa's decor. And that's something that, you know, certainly kind of seems like Steve Eiserman's trying to bring to Detroit as well with some of the defensemen he's drafted high in the last year, some of the guys he's brought in. That seems to be something that's very important to to uh, the Red Wings as an organization. And certainly that's not Hiroshi's ideal matchup. Like he's a guy that's going to have a real hard time creating separation from those guys, certainly getting through those guys or winning a puck battle off those guys. Um, so I get that. Um, I also... You know, I don't know that I've seen a whole lot this year to say Franz Nielsen's doing a whole lot better in his puck battles or, or with his strength. He's certainly got more experience. He's got a little more size to him. He's a little savvier um, just in terms of the experience he has. You know, I, I, I think the point about the penalty kill is perfectly fair, um, especially the, the numbers you mentioned about the shot attempts and, and shots on goal. I also take a step back and I look at Evolving Hockey's um, shorthanded D component to goals above replacement. Franz Nielsen's right near the bottom among Red Wings players, and that's a super small sample. I mean, we're we're talking about you know less than what would be what twelve percent of a um, normal season, and and this would be so early for me to really put credence in um, goals above replacement in a normal year. But we're twenty percent through at this point, and and so I I, I think it uh, I think it was at least a fair question, and I hope I hope it came off like a fair question. Um, I think that you know Hiroshi's got a better case to stay in the lineup. But, you know, clearly they're looking at, at, at different things or maybe they're seeing different things or they're prioritizing different things. And um, I guess that's that. I But I, I certainly think Hiroshi and, and Smith, frankly, too, um, showed me enough. With Rasmussen, I think it's different. Rasmussen, I think they're sending him down more so because they want him to play with the puck, play more, and do these things that will eventually serve him really well when he comes back, just those reps and those touches. You know, I, I think... Between Hiroshi and Smith, there's more forechecking ability in Smith. There's more patience and power play ability in Hiroshi. And I don't know that you're really sacrificing that much um, in the D zone, personally. But clearly, they've made a different calculation. So I, I guess that that is, would that's the best explanation I give. I, I can't quite give, uh, you know, I can't quite uh, say that I, I fully agree or get it. You know, I, I don't agree, per se. I don't agree. But um, that that's the best rationalization I can give for at least what I can tell that they're thinking. Yeah. And you know, the, the frustrating part I think for me is, you know, when you dissect that Blaschel answer and specifically, you know, Max, I'm glad you brought up the, how he said it's, it's tough for smaller guys to play against the big Tampa D. I step back and I look at the stats. Number one, Hiroshi was on the ice for the Mantha goal. He was, that means, when he was on the ice for the one Red Wings goal, that's a positive. Now, obviously, plus minus isn't you know the best set here because that Mantha goal was created entirely by Anthony Mantha right. pushing that puck up and, and generating the breakaway. But he's on the ice for that. He's sixth amongst the Red Wings forwards in five and five expected goals for percentage. He's not dead last. In fact, Franz Nielsen is below him, uh, you know, there. And when I look at kind of the numbers overall, I mean, he only played about 10 minutes and seemed to hold his own just as much as any of the other guys. So I, I just kind of hate the sweeping generalization of a coach speak there when, again, you step back out and you kind of look at the numbers and it doesn't necessarily reflect that statement. So, you know, again, it's possible that the Red Wings have some internal numbers that look different from this or, you know, again, it's possible that all of that was just coach speak for this was a paper transaction and he's actually going to be back up tomorrow and none of this actually matters and go eat at Arby's. I mean, that could very well be what, what Blaschel was doing for the purposes of it. But if truly, in fact, he's not in the lineup uh, on Friday, 
then I think you have to be a little disappointed with the the coach speak answer. Small guys struggle to play against big guys because Brad Marchand's fine. Brad Marchand's tough to play against. You don't take Brad Marchand out of the lineup to play against anybody. He's the same size as Taro Hirose. So it's like Marchand's a, a lot more physically engaged than Hirose, to be fair. That's right. Um, and, and their games are different, but just the small guys don't play well against big guys statement bothers me to a certain extent. Um, especially when the numbers, at least that we have publicly available, don't seem to bear that out. And, and my other counter would be like if if you're gonna take Hirose out because he's he's not big enough to handle Tampa's D. Giovanni Smith might be the exact guy that I would want in, in, in over him right. in that case. Exactly. Right. Yeah. If you're looking to put some pressure and in, in, in physicality on Tampa's D, that's exactly who you'd want to bring back in over Franz Nielsen or Valtteri Filippo, right? Yeah. So, I mean, Filippo, we, we, we've talked about it. Filippo is not coming out of the lineup. But um, I, I, I think, uh, you know, it, penalty kill is the only thing that you can really deduce that answer down to and say, okay, they're looking at what it was on the penalty kill that this time that happened to work. I don't know that I bet on it working over a long sample size to, to that degree or, and bring him, bring Nielsen in particular, bring enough value on the penalty kill to, to justify that personally. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I talked about this and, and we, when we were trying to decide how did the Red Wings, you know, become mediocre in the sense of like, what's that extra thing they have to do? We both agree to be the PK. And so, you know, it, it again, makes sense that Blasio is prioritizing that. But that being said, I don't see the value that those guys bring relative to another guy like Smith, Hiroshi, Rome to justify them staying in, like you're saying. The other point that he made, and I'll just wrap on this, um, is that Hiroshi coming, if he comes out, um, Zadina is coming in and, and Zadina plays a flank spot too. And so maybe that heightens the need to to find kind of your specialty guys in, in different parts of the game, I guess, if, if that's the rationale. Again, I don't. I don't agree. I think Hiroshi and Zadina could play opposite sides of the ice, frankly, on the same unit, and that could be a pretty good unit. Um, although Hironic ultimately plays that flank too, so so maybe it'd be Hiroshi on Mantha's unit and Hironic on Zadina's. But I, I think those are your four best flanks. You know, like Larkin can do it for sure. He can manage over there. But I also wouldn't mind Larkin down low. Frankly, I think he's probably their best puck battle winner with Bertuzzi out. I would not mind his hustle down low, getting the pucks and getting things set. But, you know, at this point, we're armchair quarterbacking. That's not the goal. That's never my goal with this stuff. Um, uh, but I think the it's fair to, to take a little longer look and say, you know, does that necessarily, is that the best way to go? But it's not the way they're going. So I, I guess we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it works out for them. And, and we'll see also how this works out for some of the guys they sent down. Uh, Michael Rasmussen and Dennis Chalowski in particular are going to start the AHL season Friday. Uh, what are you looking to, to, to see out of these guys? I, I asked Blaschel about Chalowski in particular this week, and, and I'll, I'll chime in with that in a minute. But what are you hoping to see out of both of those two guys? Um, and do you expect to see him in Detroit at any point this year? Yeah, I mean, I guess first and foremost, I'm, I'm hoping the AHL season can get off without a hitch. Right. Uh, you know, you've already had San Jose cancel their entire preseason. I think Lake Erie or I think Cleveland now canceled their first two games. So uh, my hope is they actually get to play hockey. They're set to play on Friday um, again, you know, at Chicago. And so we'll see. I think my hope here is, you know, Michael Rasmussen season got cut short a little bit last year, uh, you know, dealing with all of the injuries. But when he was playing, he looked extremely good. He was producing at almost a point per game clip. Uh, down there. And so you're looking for him to uh, continue that success. You're looking for him to continue uh, 
building on playing down the middle, learning the defensive nature of the center position, getting better in the face-off circle, you know, things along those lines. I think that's what you're looking for from from Rasmussen. Um, you know, I think you got to see some flashes of that uh, at times with the Red Wings, and so you're hoping he goes down, maybe builds up some confidence, potentially comes back up later in the season. And then Dennis Jalowski, I mean, it's just tough. You know, this is the first season in three years he's not starting with Detroit at the start of the season. He's just started each of the last two years up at the big league. So this almost feels like a step backwards for him that uh, a guy like Christian Juice is brought in and is immediately ahead of him. A guy like Alex Biega is brought in immediately ahead of him. Uh, and so you're looking for him to, to show out. This is honestly, in my opinion, his show me season. If you don't see it here, you're you're looking at potentially parting ways shortly thereafter because now you're going to be five years out from his draft without a guy that's necessarily demonstrated a consistent ability to stay in an NHL lineup and not necessarily the most talented NHL lineup, a team in dire need of defensemen. So uh, you're hoping he's able to go down, show those puck moving skills, show the skating, show the improvement in defensive awareness in his own zone. You know, that's what you want to see, I think, from Dennis Chalowski more than anything else. One benefit that uh, Rasmussen got over Chalowski is that, you know, as bad as the circumstances were that led to it, he got into some games here at the start, right? And and Rasmussen also played in the fall over in Europe. This is going to be Chalowski's first game in 11 months on Friday. And so, uh, no my pressure, ex- right? yeah, no pressure. My expectations are that it will go a little rockier at first for him. Um, I think Rasmussen will be back in Detroit at some point this year. Honestly, I, I think Blasio kind of left the door open for that almost, you know, and I've heard him say this before about guys, but, um, you know, he hopes he goes down there and he looks so good that they have no choice but to call him up. But I kind of get the sense that that's not an altogether unrealistic possibility in the next four to six weeks for, for Rasmussen to do that. I don't know that it's going to be, you know, I don't think it's going to be immediate. Um, but I think, you know, if, if Rasmussen mostly uh, is able to translate these this progress that he's made in his skating and he's able to hold the puck more, possess the puck more, and make those quick decisions with it um, in a way that I don't think he necessarily gets the opportunity to do a ton in the NHL, um, that maybe demonstrates to, to the Red Wings what they're looking to see from him. And maybe it makes him more confident in doing it at the NHL level so that when he gets back, he even looks a bit better than he than he did this this past week. But Blash will even acknowledge that, that Rasmussen did look solid. I didn't think he looked out of place. I didn't think he looked great. He wasn't a force, but he didn't look out of place. And so um, I think that's I, I think this is a 100% kind of like learning development play by them sending him down. I don't have a problem with that. Um, and, and so I, I think that, uh, I think I, I kind of think that Rasmussen will be back before too long. And I, I, you know, I, I would expect to, to see him again in Detroit sometime this season. Um, but he's still got to go down there and do it. Chalowski is a little different. I think we could see him this season in Detroit, but when I asked Blashell about what he wants to see out of Chalowski, his answer was basically, he needs to go down there. He needs to be elite on the power play. And then he paused for a second and he repeated elite. Like that to me, that left no ambiguity here. It, it was almost like, you know, okay, maybe we'll, we'll allow that some of these defensive deficiencies are just going to be there. And, and he went on to say, you know, he, he's got to get better at getting stick on puck when he's defending one-on-ones. He's got to pr- prevent the puck from going through him on two-on-ones. But that word stood out to me, elite on the power play. I think he said elite three times in that sentence. Um, 
to me, that's kind of the message, right? It's like, all right, like if, if the defensive deficiencies are going to be there, then be so good on the power play that it just makes the trade-off worth it. And all of these lineup decisions are trade-offs, every single one. Like maybe there's three guys on the Red Wings roster who you're not making some kind of trade-off uh, at some part of their game, right? Like three's low, but like 10, whatever, you know, most of these, at least half of these guys have some element of their game they're not great at. Um and so for Chalowski, that's clearly the D zone. It's it's defending rushes. It's it's defending in zone. And but the things that he can be quite good at are on the power play and on getting the transition offense going. Because I do think he can skate the puck better than most of the with the puck better than most of the Red Wings defensemen. I do think that he's a smart player. He's a poised player, sometimes to his own detriment. And those are the things that if he can raise him just that one extra level to the point where maybe that trade off suddenly tilts in his favor, then I think we'll see him again. Problem is, Chalowski's never really done that at the AHL level, and I've seen more of it from him when he's been in the NHL than I have when he's been in the AHL, and we've we've had this conversation on the show before. It's very hard to, you know, try to say, oh, it's because of the AHL, or it's this, or it's that, but basically, I think what Chalowski's going to have to do is something that he has not yet done in the AHL, and that is really stand out as a guy who's totally in control um, offensively when, when his team has the puck and certainly when he specifically has the puck. If he does that, it will not surprise me one bit to see him. If he doesn't do it, then I think you go down the road that you were just talking about, potentially toward maybe having to part ways in, in the next year or so here. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the Blashill comments are super interesting. The elite power play specialist. And if you're going to accept the defensive deficiencies, you kind of have to. He be didn't that. say I mean, that. That's me reading between the lines. Yeah, the no, no, def- no, yeah, I know. That's, yeah. that's fair. Because I think fact of the matter is it's been three years of, of watching him. We haven't really seen the defensive deficiencies really pick up the end zone awareness and things like that. And that doesn't have to happen to be a successful NHL player. You can play in the NHL. If you have that skill that is so elite uh, that it, you just can't be taken out of the lineup, even if you have those deficiencies. I mean, we're talking about guys, not necessarily elite hockey players, but guys like John Michael Lyles. He played a lot of years, great skater, great power play offense, gave it all up on defense. Marc-Andre Bergeron was another guy that fit that. Keith Yandel's another example of that. He's a guy down, you know, we just got, saw him in Florida um, you know, last couple of years. I mean, he's always been a massive power play offense guy and gives it all up defensively. And so there is a path to being an NHL player, you know, if that's going to be the case. I mean, you know, truth be told, it's kind of what Nick Cronwall looked like a little bit towards the end of his career, albeit stylistically different. But as Cronwall's legs kind of gave out and he wasn't able to play the same defense he could, he was very good on the power play and, and, and not much else. And so I think there's still a path forward for Chalowski if he kind of embraces those comments uh, from Blaschel, says, all right, we'll go all in, buckets in, we're going to be an elite power play quarterback, drive some power play offense. And you just kind of take, it, it makes it a lot more playable to accept the defensive deficiencies that exist and other hockey teams have done it. So I, I kind of agree that that is really his his best chance forward. And just so it doesn't get lost, they're they're not saying they're not they're done trying to help him with his defense or anything. Again, there was feedback about defensive game that they want to see out of him too. But the the headliner for me that stood out from that was they said he's got to go down. He's got to be an elite power play guy. That to me, that's the gauntlet. Go do it, and I think you're gonna have a hard. There already there's already a hard time finding a justification in my opinion to not have tried him, considering how many things they've tried on this power play. They took Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha off it. You can't tell me trying Dennis Chalowski on it is more radical than that. And yet it didn't happen. 
So uh, that to me is the gauntlet. Go down there and do something that he has not done yet in the AHL, which is be an elite AHL power play quarterback. He has been a quite good for a, for that first month of his career NHL offensive defenseman. But over time, when, when that pace didn't keep up, I think he had eight points in his first 11 games or something. And when that stopped happening, that's when all these conversations started, right? Um, and so that, that I think, is it. So if I had to guess, I, I feel reasonably confident that Michael Rasmussen will be back. I could flip a coin on, on whether Chalowski will. And, uh, you know, Dennis is, is a good guy. So I, I, I would love to see him um, back and get another shot at this. I, I think, you know, people people think he doesn't, like you know, because because he can be kind of that poised thing, maybe sometimes it, it comes off like he's not like max effort or whatever. But this is a this is a guy who cares, and so I I, I think that uh, for his sake, I think it'd be good to, to see him back in the NHL at, at some point this season. Yep, totally agree. Hopefully, it all works out for him. Because I know people will uh, follow up with Svechnikov and ask what the deal is there. I I, I can't. I don't know. And so I, I watched uh, I watched his press conference after the fact. I wasn't a part of it. Um, the Griffins posted it on their Twitter. Somebody asked Vechnikov health-wise. He said he's 100% and has been for a couple weeks. Does not shed any light. That, do, that doesn't shed any light as to why, you know, guys like Riley Barber and and, uh, and uh, Chase Pearson were called up onto the taxi squad over him uh, at various points. So I, I have no answer for you there, and I'm, I'm sorry that I don't. Um, but of course, he's another guy to watch, and and certainly a guy that uh, if he gets on the right role, maybe maybe there's a chance to see him. But I, I got to say, if he's not getting onto that taxi squad at any point over those last two weeks, that to me does not signal positive signs about that probability. Yeah, I mean, you look at the depth chart. If you 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 literally had four forwards on the COVID protocol yeah. list, yep. requiring four guys to be pulled up from the taxi squad, and you weren't one of the first four like pulled in it's like the ncaa tournament uh you you may, you're the first four out now right. at this point yes. like if you're Svechnikov, and it's like huh how did we get to this position here yes um and i can't i can't explain it <laughs> you know I, I i don't know what it is i mean you know we've speculated that maybe it was health but you know he's saying he's 100 percent healthy and has been for a couple weeks and so you're kind of left with the what it where the team sort of thinks he is on their organizational depth chart and that's kind of you know, tough for Svechnikov, but hopefully he can be in Grand Rapids. He can light it up down there, kind of rediscover, you know, his his uh, play from his rookie season in Grand Rapids and maybe just maybe do enough to earn a call up. Yep. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, you want to go to the mailbag? Let's do it. Most of it, I got to be honest, we covered. So I guess uh, Pat's on the back to ask for anticipating the, these questions. <laughs> um, John Evans asks, how are any of the new NHL COVID rules supposed to help anything for anyone? I don't know. I think it's uh, it's doing some things to make yourself feel better. So to kind of summarize, you know, uh, Chris Johnson put out a report on uh, Wednesday night saying that as of Wednesday night, there had been uh, 90 players who had spent at least some time on the COVID list. Now, remember that just being on the COVID list does not mean you have tested positive for uh, coronavirus. It just means you've either, you know, one of five reasons, including potentially, you know, needing to travel because of some other reason, uh, or being a close contact, potentially having a false positive test, all kind of reasons beyond just that. And so, you know, the NHL was able to confirm that report. And, uh, on Thursday, Gary Bettman kind of came out and said, you know, okay, we're, I'll, I'll note that less than half of those players had positive tests, which, you know, you can kind of interpret uh, that as you will. That could mean that as many as 45 players or 44 players had a positive test, which is, you know, roughly 5% of the NHL players. Uh, you know, so that's that that's a high number to be at three weeks into the season. So uh, the NHL has then decided that they're going to institute some changes, you know, first being we're going to remove the glass from behind the benches because uh, we need to employ or have better air circulation and having the glass behind the benches was going to be uh, an issue. They also, they're asking teams to deploy these portable air cleaners behind benches, uh, you know, to use HEPA filters to be able to try and do a better job of filtering out particulate matter. They're now not letting players and coaches arrive to the arena more than an hour and 45 minutes, uh, you know, before puck drop. They want all meetings to be virtual. They're trying to ask teams to create uh, you know, more locker room space for, you know, themselves and their opponents to see if it's possible to have six feet between, you know, each player at their stalls. Uh, at the end of the day, I, it's just, it's, it's doing what they can to try and keep the season moving forward. But frankly, I think, you know, if you look at the way it's gone around the league, uh, now with, a lot basically Buffalo season getting shut down after playing New Jersey. We talked about how, you know, Blaschel and Je- you know, Red Wings head coach also in his preference, uh, Jeff Blaschel made some comments that, you know, yeah, I mean, Carolina must have played with a positive player because you can trace the spread in the central division from Carolina, you know, with Jordan Stahl being pulled after that first game and then a handful of Kane's players pulled later to then the Red Wings having five guys on the COVID list. You know, with all of them being out 14 days, presumably they were all positive tests um, and for real coronavirus symptoms. Um, you know, then you go to Chicago. Chicago ends up with guys, you know, Debrinket, you know, uh, Boquist and a couple other guys go on the protocol. So 
I think the the challenge is the NHL is thus we're not really acknowledged on ice spread of this. And I think that's sort of where you're at. And I don't know that any of these measures really do anything to fix that. All right. Brandon Gunn says, this team is bad, no denying it, but how much does the regression in goal play a role in it? Bernier was noticeably better last year than either of the tandem has been recently. I have a tough time explaining this because we've just said for the last handful of podcast episodes, this team has been better at five on five. Yeah. They're dr- they're markedly better at yep. five on five. I mean, their five on five expected goals against is 2.07. That's really good. That's, you know, fringe top 10 team in the league being yep. at that level. And so now you're saying, okay, we have arguably close to a top 10 defense. And, you know, oh, by the way, your goalies are now going to give up double that. It's it's kind of a little fascinating how that's played out. I think obviously, you know, you haven't had Bernier for the last few games. I think Grice is maybe still adjusting system-wise to what is uh, presumably a very different amount of shots and quality of shots that he's seeing compared to what he was seeing with with the Islanders. But I don't know. I'm hoping this is just like an... 11 game, you know, lag and and these guys will kind of correct it. You know, Bernier didn't really catch fire last year until about December time. So after it already been two months of the season. So potentially that that leaves room for something like that to happen. But yeah, I mean, right now the Red Wings goalies are are the problem because the Red Wings are 10th in the league and five and five expected goals against. They're not giving up a lot of quality chances. I mean, you know, it's just they need to start getting some saves here. Yep, and uh, to drive that point home, I mean, I I liked Thomas Grice in the in the debut. I thought he he looked really good, and and until the Red Wings took that uh, those like double stack late penalties to to do an extended penalty kill, he gives up the second, then they lose three. But but really, he had them in what should have been a one zero loss against Carolina, despite a game where Carolina did have way more possession. Um, however, after eight games. His goal saved above expected is negative 7.4 already. That's second only to Matt Murray at the bottom of the league. Jonathan Bernier, again, these are small samples, five games, uh, four games, I apologize, uh, negative three goals saved above expectation. That's bottom, you know, that's outside the top 50 goalies so far in a little, you know, cluster with Martin Jones and Jonathan Quick. That's not that's not the Jonathan Bernier that was one of the best in the league by this exact same stat over the back half of last season. Yeah, so something's got to give here for the wings because you got to be somewhat frustrated when you're looking at your team and going, huh, we have the 10th best five-on-five defense right now, but we're getting absolutely shellacked. And, and you know, part of the problem with the Red Wings goal differential has certainly been their penalty kill. I mean, they've Definitely. given up 11, yep. 11 power play goals already. They're sitting at 68.6% after having four for four against Tampa in the first game uh, of that series. So... You know, that's certainly an issue, but right now, five and five goaltending is also an issue. They're just not getting the same saves they were getting last season. Yep. Uh, Anakin, uh, Garth Brokes, sorry, uh, asks, Berggren is still scoring at a point-per-game pace, 37 games into the SHL season. Are we somehow sleeping a bit on how good he could be? I don't think so. Um, I think we have to remember this is his third season post-draft, and obviously, you know, some of his seasons have been hampered by injuries. And so we haven't necessarily gotten an extended look at him. Um, but being a point per game player uh, in the SHL, as exciting as it is, I think we have to remember the component of, 
uh, survivorship bias in, in the SHL. A lot of the really elite guys are already gone from the SHL before they're playing their third season over there. You know, your Elias Pettersons, you know, those guys are typically not still in the SHL. So yes, Berger, it's great that Bergman is continuing to make big strides forward while over there scoring at a point per game. But be a little cautious when you're looking at stats like, oh, who's the all-time points per game leader, you know, in the SHL for a U23 player, because you're going to remember, you're going to need to remember that a lot of those top U23 players have already left that league. So that's that's the biggest kind of caution I would put there. But that being said, be optimistic about him. He looks to be a heck of a playmaker. I think he would arguably be the Red Wings' best power play player uh, if he came over right now. But, you know, so I think there there is some excitement to to be had, but just kind of temper that a little bit with that kind of piece of information. Yeah, and I feel like this gets lost when I when I, when I talk about Bergen because I have been pumping the brakes on him for most of the season as much as I think he has he has been the breakout prospect of the year. So don't don't get that lost within the system. He's been the guy who's broken out more than any other. Um, I mean, Moritz Sider, I guess you could argue that, but he was already one of the top two prospects. Like it's different. Um, Bergen from where he started to where he is now has had the biggest rise of any prospect in the system. It's really encouraging for the Red Wings that he's done it. He looks fast. He looks, he is skilled. He, he's making really smart passes in, in, into important areas of the ice. He's doing a lot of this at even strength too, frankly. These are all very important things and, and the points reflect that. I still think that he's really more of a second or third line winger when all is said and done and, and really it's entirely possible that, you know, for all this projection in the SA or production in the SHL, this might be a guy who comes over here and struggles to produce for a couple of reasons, getting to the uh, scoring areas of the ice. He's not really much of a shooter, although he has upped the goals lately. I think that's a big development. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to have as easy a time of this. I mean, it's he's not going to have as easy a time of this as he comes over and adjusts to a smaller rink. Right now, he's able to take these laps of the ozone. But if you look at where he's skating, that part of the ice doesn't even exist in North America. Like you, you, It's just harder to do that over here. Uh, and so I, I think it's promising. I think he looks like he's going to make the NHL. I think he look, looks like he can probably carve out a role, but he's still got to do it. And, and even when he does, you know, I wouldn't be so quick to say that he's really more than like a, a potentially pretty good uh, middle six winger. And, and certainly there is upside to be a little more than that. And I agree with what you said about the um, the power play, because he does seem like a player who's able to, to see things um, in, in quick time and, and get his hands to, to get the puck there. Uh, in time to do it, but I don't think he's going to be a, a, a particularly, um, you know, high end offensive player, certainly not right away. And if he becomes one, it's going to take some further development, um, you know, and in, in, into a player that, that can more easily take those hard areas of the ice uh, w- when he needs them. And, and I think that's something that he's going to struggle with early on. It's probably why um, this reader thinks that maybe I'm sleeping on him a little bit, but I'm very impressed by him and I don't want that to get lost. I just think you got to be careful with with this and and exactly what you said, Prashant, about understanding the context for the history there. Yeah, I think that's the key. Just making sure you understand the context, but definitely can be excited about him. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's find one to close on. Here's one from Jimmy V. What size Jesper Wallstedt jersey is Prashant ordering when they take him second overall? I will absolutely not order one of those. Um 
you know, here's here's the challenge, right? So in this year, in this draft year, with arguably no standout forward, um, aside from maybe Beneers and and my uh, my pick would be William Eklund. Um, but neither of those guys, if you're stacking them, if let's say you had combined last year's draft class and this year's draft class, William Eklund, who I think is the best player in the draft, I would take 10th if, if I'm putting him against last year's draft class. So that's giving you an idea of the talent there. So that being said, if there were ever to be a year to swing on a goalie, this would be the year. However, I will still not swing on a goalie. So no, I will not be buying a Jesper Wallstead jersey. But I will not make fun of anyone who suggests it as much this season, given the relative lack of talent at the, the relative lack of elite talent at the top compared to last season and then the next three years upcoming. Wallstead's having a really good year in the SHL. And so I, I think that uh, I can understand that this team needs a future goalie. They do not have one uh, that I, I'm, I'm convinced is going to make the NHL, frankly, at any level of their system. And Wallstead would check that box in a hurry. Uh, I still think, you know, this might be a year to, to get yourself shored up on the blue line, whether it's a Brant Clark, whether it's a Luke Hughes, whether it's an Owen Power. But certainly I like Eklund, too. I'm a big fan of Matt Benares' game. Um, and so I think those are all realistic options. But I think Wallstead's a, a realistic point in that conversation. I just go back to these same things that we talked about with Yaroslav Askarov last year. They're different players. There's no doubt about it. But goalies just inherently are a risk, and you use an asset like this that you can use on a player that's so hard to find, which is a top pairing D or a first line forward. I tend to think that's the way you got to go. But I agree with you. If if you're going to do it in any year, this might be the year that's the least uh, offensive to do it. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the basis for my critique is that historically teams that have swung on first round goalies have not had the success they were hoping for. I mean, you look at the Rick DiPietro's at first overall, and you you see a move like that, and that's just something that the Islanders substantially regret. That being said, you know, you can maybe make the case that in the last couple of years, we are doing a better job of identifying who's going to be a good goaltender. You know, Spencer Knight has continued to play really well and seems to be developing well in the Florida system. You know, Askarov... Uh, you know, for what he is, uh, has played extraordinarily well. He's got a 951 save percentage in the KHL right now through nine games. Um, that's kind of ridiculous. It's very uh, ridiculous. You, you, you'll see if that continues to hold up, but nine games in the KHL with a 951 save percentage is kind of stupid. Um, and then, you know, again, Jesper Wallstadt's another guy who seems to be in that same mold. So potentially... We are starting to turn the corner where we can do better with goalie evaluation and as such reduce the you know variance that we see when picking these guys. That being said, historically, NHL teams that take the forwards at the top tend to do really well and they tend not to regret that pick as much. So until I can see that pendulum really swing a little bit more uh, or you've got a goalie scout that you absolutely love, um, I'd still rather stick with taking a forward with the top five pick than anybody else. Here's a would you rather for you. We'll end on this. Would you rather? You, I give you the fifth overall pick. That's that's where you land. You're the, you're a GM. Right. You're the Red Wings GM specifically. Okay. Would you rather take Jesper Wallstedt with that pick or trade that pick for Spencer Knight? I'd rather trade it for Spencer Knight. And I think that's a so realist, I, that that's like legitimate. I think that's that's a like a legitimate trade off there. You could you could make that and justify it. I think. 
Yeah, I think the the big key here is now I have two more years of watching Spencer Knight to know what his development track looks like, to know that, yes, he is still on path to be that bona fide starter. That's a realistic deal in the sense that Florida still has Bobrovsky for years and Chris Dredger, who's looked you know pretty well or pretty good as well. Um, so you could maybe see Florida being willing to make that move. Um, and then at fifth overall this year, if Beniers is gone, Eklund is gone, and Brant Clark are gone, there's not a guy I really love. And in this draft, the fifth overall pick at that point with those three guys gone is more like the 15th overall pick in, in, in other drafts. So, yeah, I'd be more than happy to move uh, that fifth overall pick for, for Spencer Knight as opposed to burning it on Wallstead with less information on him. All right. I still think I might take a swing on a player, but uh, I know that's not the question I asked you, so I won't try to make it <laughs> seem like you were advocating that from the beginning. All right. Anything else? No, I think that's all. All right. Red Wings roll on in uh, in Tampa on Friday. Don't get your hopes up, and then they'll take, a, take on the Panthers for a couple games uh, this weekend. Take care. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.